Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is September the 15th, 2016. It is a Thursday, and uh, Thursdays are listener call shows. I have a, a great lineup for us today, but kind of a short one. Uh, I put out something I'll tell you about later in the show today, uh, and that and some other things that are going on today and some relations in for town. I got started really, really late today on the show, so I called it at just five call-ins for the show today. But here's what we're going to talk about. One of the things that got in the way is I had to get this out the door quick. We're doing a Work with Jack weekend uh, on Saturday next week, so I'll tell you a little bit about that, what we're going to be doing. And if you're local to the area, it's a good opportunity low-cost workshop where we'll put more food and beer in you than $25 bucks it will cost you to come. I have a question on raw eggs in your dog's diet and what portion of the diet you might want to make up with that or not make up with that. A story for you that many of you have probably seen on Facebook. A cop does the right thing, not shooting somebody, and gets fired for it. Yes, really, I'll tell you about that. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the concept of something called civil asset forfeiture. And uh, it was brought up by a story I told recently about my father and I driving from Florida to Pennsylvania with a couple bags full of money when I was a kid. Um, it's definitely a different time today than it was back then. I, I don't think my father would have been would be willing to do that today for the reasons that we'll talk about uh, in just a bit. Also, we have uh, thoughts on filming, uh, thoughts on live streaming Facebook. Uh, when you're, in, you know, being uh, dealing with an encounter with law enforcement, you want to make sure that they are not going to take your phone or your camera and destroy it or erase it or what have you. And I'll have some thoughts on that. And woman weighs in and said, wants to tell me that women are tough too, and it's not always women that don't want guns and things like that. And I'll, uh, I'll respond to a great call really, and I have some thoughts though on it, and maybe a broader lesson on. People taking things personally because they're in a group that somebody mentions with a general generalization. I don't know that that's what's going on here, but it does happen a lot. So we'll talk about all of that more in just a minute. Before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. You know, Western Botanicals is my personal first choice for everything herbal, from whole raw herbs to preparations and ointments. In fact, two products I use all the time from Western Botanicals are the Deep Heat Ointment and the Turmeric Combo. Western Botanicals is the no-nonsense, no-hype herbal source you can trust. Learn more at westernbotanicals.com. Hey, guys, you know I've always been a fan of Backwoods Home Magazine. Well, how about this? How about Self-Reliance Magazine from the same people that brought you Backwoods Home? Many of you know I've been a Backwoods Home subscriber for over 20 years. Dave Duffy and the crew over there have brought out a new magazine simply called Self-Reliance Magazine. It's at self-reliance.com online, and you can learn more about it by the link in today's show notes. But it's amazing. Just take Backwoods Home. Up the production value, take out all the politics, and go 100% hardcore homesteading, self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And that's what you get in Self-Reliance Magazine. Check them out today, self-reliance.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1871, because the episode's 1871. Got all kinds of unique things going on in this year. Onward, Gilbert and Sullivan, the musical team of Gil Gilbert and Sullivan meet for the first time this year. I tell you that to tell you what it's about because I'm not going to read that one. 
goodbye governor. The governor of North Carolina is tossed out of office. It's the first time in U.S. history the governor has been thrown out of office. And the National Rifle Association is born. That's the one we're going to read. Before that, in other news, stray or dangerous dogs can be held and destroyed. The U.K. authorizes constables to hold stray dogs for three days before selling or destroying them. Constables now respond to complaints of dangerous dogs. So the dog catcher's born, I guess, in England. Jehovah Witnesses starts as a Bible study group in Pittsburgh. They will become the Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. As they anticipate the redemption of the faithful, they will adopt the name Jehovah Witnesses in 1931. Darwin publishes The Descent of Man. Apparently, evolution shapes society. I heard a report that a gene exists for altruism. That theory was modified when the study proved that people were altruistic only when someone was watching. <laughs> Selfishness beats altruism within groups. Altruistic groups beat selfish groups. Everything else is commentary from the rethinking of the theoretical foundation of sociobiology and mocking a quote from Rabbi Hilly. All right, so let's read about the National Rifle Association since that's probably something all of us actually know of and think of in, in various fond ways anyway. Quote, Out of ten soldiers who are perfect in drill and the manual of arms, only one knows the purpose of the sights of his gun or can hit the broadside of a barn, end quote. General Ambrose Burnside's first president of the National Rifle Association. And that pretty much defines the purpose of the NRA, to improve the skills of the average shooter. And it is not because of honey. During the war between the states, it took Union soldiers an average of 1,000 shots to the Confederate soldier. I'm willing to bet the Confederate did considerably better, but no doubt it was still a very high number. The idea behind the NRA is to train future soldiers so they know which end of the bullets come out of and how to use their sights. This will translate into free ammunition and targets to help shooters maintain their skill. The free ammunition program through the U.S. Department of War will be discontinued in 1927. The NRA will avoid political issues until the 1960s when they will support gun registration. By the mid-1970s, the NRA will try to distance themselves from various gun controversies and focus on sports and hunting. In 1994, they will oppose the Federal Assault Weapons Ban, AWB, and that will mark a change in direction for the NRA. My take by Alex Shrugged. I was amazed to find that the NRA is an open carry advocate. That would not have happened 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Regarding the number of bullets fired in war, that is tracked as a metric by the government and it is always high. I recall the interview with Thomas Soule, the economist, when asked about a recent shooting towards the, involving the police. Apparently they used an inordinate number of bullets. He pointed out that anyone using such a weapon in actual combat will keep pulling the trigger until his target is down. What seems like an excessive number of bullets is simply a number, a normal reaction to pressure. In fact, when I read a book on taking a Fallujah, a U.S. Marine noted that it could take as many as 17 shots to bring down a man charging his position. He speculated this was due to drugs the attackers were consuming, but I'm not so sure. I listened to an interview of a police officer after a shootout with, not, with a suspect not on drugs. They took more than 10 shots. He figured it was a problem with shot placement. He needed to aim more carefully at the vinyls. I have seen videos of police officers firing hundreds of shots into a vehicle going five miles an hour. The driver lived. There wasn't a lot of skill on display, nor much thinking. You know, I, I got a story to tell you about this that uh, is totally unrelated, but it, it does explain the fact that sometimes what you think of as being overkill can actually be underkill. In this case, it was luck. In 1992, 
um, leading up to his attempted re-election and failure and loss to Bill Clinton, President George H.W. Bush came to Panama. I don't know why he thought this was a good idea for his campaign, especially given what happened down there considering just cause and the bad blood that was in the air at the time. But for some reason or another, part of his campaign was to visit Panama for some photo ops and things like that. Uh, a lot of things happened, including us scrubbing the uh, the freaking uh, tarmac on the, on the airfield because uh, the president was coming. And we got to see the president speak. I guess that was okay. We had a latrine that uh, hadn't been in working order for three years that the president was going to walk by, and they figured he might have to take a crap in there, so they uh, they fixed it. So what couldn't be done all of a sudden could be done when the president was coming. Um, the president went and spoke in downtown Panama City where riots quickly erupted and they fired tear gas at the rioters and um, the wind shifted and uh, George and Barbara got tear gas uh, over, over spray and ended up having to be evac'd out of there and that made them a few minutes late coming to see us at our, uh, our air base uh, in, in Panama. And uh, so the thing that makes me think about all of that though from this is about two days before the president got there, there was what you could only call a terrorist act uh, by some really pissed off people due to what happened to Just Cause, probably people that lost family members or, or something like that. Two uh, American soldiers were in a Humvee. Uh, they were driving on what was called, the, what still is, I'm sure, called the Trans Isthmus Highway, which connects the Pacific and the Atlantic side of the Isthmus that is Panama. And somewhere along the way near the Atlantic side, I think they were on the return trip coming back, uh, several men fired shots out of the back of a pickup truck firing AK-47s. And I believe that one of the men was hit 28 times and the other 21 times. The one that was hit 28 times died. The other one hit was hit 21 times while seriously injured and having life-altering injuries did survive. 21 wounds from an AK-47. My contention has always been that they probably weren't hit with 21 and 28 rounds respectively, but had 21 and 28 holes as bullets glanced off, uh, ran across, penetrated, and made secondary wounds and things like that. But, I mean, when you think about somebody being hit that many times with an AK at relatively short range, uh, through an unarmored, this is you know, this was not an up-armored in any way Humvee, this is a you know soft uh, soft-sided Humvee, so a, we had mostly what we ran around down there with were the uh, the canvas tops, and most likely, I, I don't really know exactly what the condition of the vehicle was. Most likely, they were rolling with the with the doors off the vehicle, so it was probably open, you know, open cabin at least on the side. Um, and of course, these guys were you know doing a supply run or something like that, so they they weren't armed or anything, so they had no way to return fire, um, but. Yeah, just because someone's hit doesn't mean they go down. That's another way of looking at the Tuller drill, which is uh, inappropriately called the 21-foot drill, and just something to think about uh, in in your training. Because there is certain points where when a person is hit, they do go down. If somebody's hit through the the the, the spine uh, or the the the, the uh, I said the neck. When I but when I say the neck, I mean the the, the neck, the the C vertebrae of the neck. They go down. They go down. They don't get up. They, they they're they're anchored, and uh, you know if somebody's hit through the mouth into the back of the skull, they go down, and 
it's it's horrible to have to think that way. But when your life's in danger, if it's possible, down is where the person needs to go. My take by Jack Spierko. With that, let's go ahead and get into the uh, main topics of today's show, which are your calls. Before we do a call, I want to let you know about this uh, workshop I got going on. So we have decided that we are going to raise the back wall of our aviary to about nine feet and turn a hoop into a half hoop. Uh, this is necessary for the aquaponic system to go forward. On that same day, we'll be running some power and water to the greenhouse. We'll be finishing up the greenhouse, and we're going to be tying in the complete aquaponic system. So it won't have a bunch of plants in or anything, but it will be functional. You'll be able to see everything about how it basically works. Wicking, deep water, and ebb and flow. Um, we'll all be set up. The IBCs will be set up, solid filtration set up. And uh, I'm calling it Work with Jack weekend, but it's really more of a, a Work with David and Toby weekend. David uh, Siegler is the instructor that will be teaching the aquaponics portion of the major workshop we're doing the last week of October. He and his carpenter, Toby, will be really in charge of this. I'll be here working alongside of you rather than running the crew and answering questions and things like that as we go. Uh, I put out a little post about it today. I put out a video on it today. Uh, so you can watch that and get more information. But here's the basics. It's 25 bucks, but if you're a couple, it's 35 bucks. And you don't have to fill out two forms if you're a couple. Fill out one. There's a place where there's notes that tell me that your, your spouse is coming. Bring 10 bucks with you, and that way we cover food. The other thing is I am letting kids come, but I'm being a little strict. Uh, no, none under 12. I think that's kind of a, a threshold for being able to be focused on what we're doing versus running around the property. Um, I have no problems with kids running around, playing and stuff like that. But when we're in the middle of a workshop and there's no real time to provide oversight and they get bored and stuff like that, I mean, it's not like we have woods here they can run. It's only, the place is only three acres. There's a lot of the property that's inaccessible because of certain reasons. Um, last time I did this, I had some kids that took a floating, it looks like a white ball, but it's a floater with a thing that hangs down on it. Um, that floats around our pool, and it was like solar-powered, so it lit up and it was cool. But it's a chlorinator. It like, like chlorinates the pool. Well, so some of the kids that came here, they took the thing out of the pool, and they used it like a soccer ball and broke it. It was like a $40 uh, floater because it had this you know, light-changing thing going on. And we had some other problems, like chasing the ducks around, climbing on the back of the dog like a horse, stuff like that. That can't be here with, with your kids, so... If you have kids that actually want to be here for aquaponics and, and, and for the greenhouse and for the aviary and learn about it and be part of it, you can bring them at no cost. They have to be at least 12 and I have to know that they're coming. There's a place to fill that in. Um, but if, if they, if they, you have the conversation about what it is and see if they really want, don't drag your kids. That's what I'm saying. Don't drag them. If they don't want to be here. Don't bring them. Uh, if they don't want to be part of it, don't bring them. And if that means you can't come, then don't. Because if it becomes an issue, I hate to do it, but bye bye. All right. So I'm, I'm setting my piece on that. But I think this will be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll we'll probably work about three o'clock in the afternoon. I think it's to start at eleven. Um, and we're going to, of course, at the end of the day, have really great meal, uh, some really great uh, adult beverages and things like that. You'll meet some really cool people. I've heard from so many of you that have come to eat, not just the big workshops, but the little ones, and said the, the, the connections made with other individuals and the work that's going on and the exchange of ideas that's going on now is worth the cost of admission. Then add to it the food, the knowledge, everything else. It, it, it's really a great deal. I am charging a little more this time because I don't have time to cook for you. So we're going to cater in something really cool. I'm not going to tell you what it is. We're just going to do it. 
Uh, but by charging a little more, I can cover the cost on that. I'm pretty much uh, a loss on the, on the alcohol, which I don't mind. I consider that like your, your compensation, but, uh, you'll have a really awesome meal, really great beverages, really great people. And uh, I'm only taking 12 people for this. So, uh, you, you might want to get on the site and sign up for it right away. There's a form. When you fill the form out, um, it takes you to another page. And once you, you get to that page, that's where you make your payment. You, Have not reserved your spot until you fill out that payment, not just the form. So make sure you complete all the steps. And there's a, uh, a document that should be emailed to you with, that you have a safety waiver on and, and all the instructions on how to get here and everything. Anyway, hope to see many of you there with that. And let's go ahead and take a call from the audience here. This one is about raw eggs in your dog's diet, specifically in this case, quail eggs. Hey, Jack, Jaron, Northern Utah again. I have a question on feeding my dogs a diet of raw eggs. Details are I have a coonhound lab mix, three years old, about 45 pounds, and a four-year-old lab, about 60 pounds. And I'm also producing over 100 quail eggs a day and can't sell and give away enough of them. Could these be a good base for uh, my dog's diet? Or should I also supplement with other things? And how many eggs, if so, do you suggest feeding two fairly active homestead dogs? Thanks for all you do, Jack. Well, I guess what you're really going to have to do is kind of do the math if you want to make it a, a fundamental component of the, of the diet. What you could do is there's nutritional information on whatever food you're feeding your dogs. And uh, with that, you can determine the total caloric yield the dogs are getting from that. And you're going to find a, uh, a much higher portion, unless you're using some really special dog food, uh, than, it is, than is right for canines is going to be in carbohydrate. Dogs are not carbohydrate eaters. They are carnivorous. They eat meat. They eat fat. That's what they eat. They eat bone. That's what they like. So um, with that knowledge, then you can ascertain at least, though, like what the minimum caloric yield your dogs uh, have been regularly getting and assuming they're healthy weight and all. Then from that, you can extrapolate, well, there's X amount of calories in a quail egg, Uh, this is how many quail eggs it takes to meet the same caloric yield. And that, that, way, that way you can at least know you're not putting them on a caloric-restricted diet because you don't want to put your dogs on a caloric-restricted diet uh, unless they need it. Okay, and that's, I mean, There's no real excuse for fat dogs because fat dogs are only fat because of what we feed them. Because dogs, unlike human beings, can't open refrigerators and, and get stuff out and you know, can't be weak unless their humans are weak. So that's, that's a thought there. Would I feed my dogs a diet of nothing but raw eggs? The answer is no. And I'll, I'll give you one big reason why. Um, and then some other thoughts as to why. Now, I'm not a vet and I do not specialize in canine nutrition, but I do have dogs and I've had them my whole life. Uh, my dog Charlie is pretty much done with raw eggs. He's done. Uh, so I think if nothing else, they may just wear out. Like, like okay, I don't want any more of these. And it's because whenever we find an egg that's got a crack or damaged or we're iffy on it, it's, it, it probably could go into a carton and be sold, but it was found over in this part of the field, and it might have been there for three days outside. We just busted on a rock and let him and Max eat them. Um, he hasn't been too hip on it because he's been fed so many for so long. It's, it's, it's like when we started doing it, it was like, oh, my God, an egg, you know, and now it's like, oh, another egg, man. I don't really feel like one right now. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't eat them at all, but I'm saying, like, there's times where you break an egg for him, and he's like, I don't want it. Max will usually come over and eat it. If not, the cats will eat it. But I, I tell you that my dogs are in amazing condition from eating raw eggs. So I think it's an incredibly valuable component of nutrition. 
um, I would be more inclined to find a good quality dog food and then reduce the expense of that dog food by supplementing, let's say, a third of it with calories from eggs. And busting those eggs onto their dog food is probably a great way to do it. With quail eggs, what I would honestly do is uh, I would just kind of crack them and crack them shells and all and mix them into the feed, then they're likely to eat the shells. Whenever we give the dogs eggs that are just cracked open raw, they tend not to eat the shells. They tend to lick it out or whatever. I'll talk about a, another thing we call dog eggs here in a second. But uh, mixed in with their food, they're probably going to eat it. That's a great calcium yield for them, and it kind of makes up for the fact they're not getting a lot of the bone that they would be getting if they were eating you know, what their preferred feed would be. And a dog's preferred feed, you know, people think of like coyotes uh, running down elk calves or something. Honestly, most wild canines eat an awful lot of small animals, uh, rats, mice, uh, rabbits, things like that, and it's... I talked about a workshop that we, you know, those small workshops. People that have been to one anyway can tell you how a dog eats a rabbit because Charlie caught one. It was fairly small, but it was big enough to cook. And, and my thought was, well, hell, I'll throw it on the grill and we'll share it. Um, Charlie's not a hunting dog. He's not been trained to let go of things like a rabbit that he's killed. So he wanted it, and uh, when I grabbed it, he he clamped down and I, I clamped down and he turned his head and that's all it took. And with the, the sharpness of his teeth, he cut it like a knife through its backbone and ended up with, you know, about 50% of it head, head side. And I had the, the two back legs and, you know, some intestine hanging out and he went gulp. And I said, ah, the hell with it. And I just threw him the other half and he went gulp and it was gone. Right, so you got to think about that, and, and he had no problems over that. He didn't throw up. He didn't have distress. He didn't have problems pooing. He ate a whole freaking rabbit in two sections, and the dog's digestive system broke all that down. Which means the dog's digestive system is designed to break down things like bone and what have you. So if you want to go like the, the 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 gold star with dogs, if you can find inexpensive, low-cost meats that can be pushed through a grinder, like especially poultry, like chicken and what have you, where the bones and everything get ground up so there's no worries about the bones causing any problems. And I'll, I know some of you, what you're thinking, I'll get to it in a second, I promise you. And then mix that with eggs. Man, you got like blowing and going beautiful dog food. You know, and, and I wish I could tell you we feed our dogs like that. I have a 150-pound German Shepherd and a 105-pound Pit Bull. I don't have the money. Right, So we feed them a, a decent quality dog food, and we give them a lot of eggs and uh, meat scraps and stuff like that. We just, you know, I, I can't afford to buy enough to do it full on. Uh, now, here's another thing we do. Sometimes we'll get a surplus of quail eggs, and we don't move them fast enough. And once they get more than about three weeks old, unless we really have demand that people are using them now, if we're not going to eat them, they become, we call them dog eggs. And what we do is we throw them all in a pot, and we hard-boil them. We do that because then they'll last even longer in the refrigerator, and once they're boiled, what we'll do is we'll grab a handful of them, and we'll mash them, you know, one at a time. Don't mash a bunch at a time. You'll make a big mess. You grab them out, grab a couple handfuls, and then just between your thumb and forefinger like a grape, and just mash it. Mash it a couple times until the, the, the shell kind of breaks into the, the egg components, and then, you know, we'll put maybe a dozen each in their feed and then mix that in their feed, and they go, Charlie has not worn out on that, man. They go crazy for that. I will warn you, this is not something to do every day. 
So we'll we'll boil up a, a you know some of them and we'll do it like today and then two days from now and then two days from now and then two days from now by then we're probably done right and the reason we do that is if you've ever been around somebody that's drank a lot of beer and ate a lot of eggs you know that the sulfur and egg yolks tend to make some for some noxious fumes your dog is not immune to those noxious fumes though we've never seen it happen or smelled it happen with raw eggs so it's probably better to feed them raw egg than 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 uh, boiled but we'll do that there's even been times where we've had like a big surplus of, of duck eggs it's not often that we have them but one time we had a couple dozen extra we you know it was going to get to where we're going to have some really older ones i can only eat so many Uh, it was right when we lost our big restaurant customer, and the ducks were just blowing out like 12 and a half, 13 dozen a day. So I just took a big skillet, and I threw about two dozen eggs in it, and I made a big pile of scrambled eggs, and they got a, a handful of that every day. And that didn't have any noxious uh, problems either, but it seems like hard-boiled, if you give them too many, eh, you can. I also advise this. Whenever you feed dogs any significant amount of food that's been cooked, It is possible that you're going to get a larger or more intense bowel movement, okay? It generally happens fairly quickly, so that is something to feed your dogs in the morning when you're at home and you're going to be at home and you can put them out or they're going to be out all day. If you have inside dogs, do not feed them that in the night because they may not be able to wake you up and you may wish you didn't. One thing to never feed your dog cooked because of biological distress for you when you have to breathe it in is liver Never feed your dogs cooked liver in significant quantities. A small piece or two won't matter, but it's, you know. Uh, my dad one time, we had a deer liver. We brought it home. He ended up deciding it didn't really taste good, so he boiled the whole thing and cut it in cubes. He fed it to our small uh, silky terrier, which is like a big Yorkshire terrier, and the dog exploded on the wall. You have been warned. On the bone thing, just so you guys know, It is theoretically completely okay to take like a whole chicken and just give it to your dog and let him tear into it if he'll do it, right? Because the problems with bones are when bones have been cooked and they get crystallized and they become jagged. The reason I would suggest if you're going to make your own dog food though from, you know, a low cost protein source and, and finding something that's like a big one horsepower grinder and the whole thing goes in there, it just makes it easier to feed them. You, you're not going to find you – know, think about raw chicken. If you've ever, like, boned a chicken and threw the bones in the garbage can and forgot about it and didn't take it out, and he woke up to it in the morning. So think about one of those if the dog doesn't eat it ending up, like, under your couch or something like that. It's just – and I have had dogs, when they get certain bones and stuff, if they're big, get, like, stuck in their teeth, and you end up having to go inside and pry it out, and it's not comfortable for the dog. So I, I, I would avoid that most of the time. And, uh, you know, especially it's not so much like a, a leg bone or something like that. It's like vertebrae and stuff like that because they're thinking about vertebrae has holes in it and stuff like that. And a dog's teeth, it can get up to where it's, it's embedded in the gum line and the dog can't get it out because the dog has no thumbs. And, you know, he can't push it out with his tongue. And it's far enough up that he can't bite down on it anymore. And I've had a couple different times with dogs where I've had to reach it and pull a bone out like that. So I don't feed stuff like that to my dogs. Hopefully that helps you. Um, but definitely make it part of their diet. I don't know that I would make it the staple of their diet. Maybe a third of their caloric intake. And I'm, I'm spitballing here. But um, 
I, I do think you'll wear them out on it because it's one of those things that they really like and then nah, where like I don't think you can wear a dog out on meat and bone and gristle and, and cartilage and stuff like that or even a good quality dog food. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. This is Mike in West Virginia. I'm calling today because I want to commend a police officer uh, here locally who's in West Virginia. Um, the officer's name is uh, Stephen Mater, and um, the news story that I read about him was that he was responding to a call of a suicidal man, and when he arrived uh, to the call, he instantly was able to recognize that this guy was looking to commit suicide by cop. And instead of being Yosemite Sam and just shooting everything that moves immediately, he tried to de-escalate the situation, which is kind of uncommon in today's uh, police practices. And uh, he actually tried to talk the guy down. And uh, while he was trying to talk him out of, you know, uh, committing suicide, two other officers showed up and promptly shot the man uh, that he was trying to reason with. And uh, the reason that this guy is my new hero is because I feel that he did the principled and moral thing in this case. And uh, I'm hard on cops, just like you are. I've called in before, and I was the one that brought up the Baltimore case with Corin Gaines. Uh, I didn't agree with the way that was handled. But this guy, I feel, did everything in his power to do the right thing. And uh, I think he deserves a medal, and uh, he's my new hero. Now, he was awarded uh, by his police chief by being fired from his police department uh, because he apparently endangered the lives of the other officers. And um, uh, I just have no words, you know. The, the justice system is so corrupt that it, this story makes it clear that the higher-ups, the brass, the management, whatever you want to call them, uh, they're not interested in having moral and principled officers working for them because otherwise, why would they incentivize the, the immediate shooting of whoever is armed on the scene? Now, this guy, he did everything right morally, you know, and he was fired for it. Um, I would just like to get your thoughts. You can Google this story. The, the officer's name is Stephen with a PH, last name Mater. And um, he's my new hero, and he was fired by his, his police chief, this, this turd. Rob Alexander, and I hope that, you know, the people of Weirton, West Virginia, get together and either recall this guy or vote him out of office or, you know, do whatever it takes to flush him because he fits your definition perfectly of a, uh, an oath-breaking piece of shit, in my opinion. Anyway, thanks, Jack. Uh, take care. Yeah, I, I actually posted a video report on this from the Young Turks on Facebook yesterday. Um, and, and what I said is, if you, if you still don't think there's a problem with police violence, maybe this will wake you up in case you're not paying attention. There's a problem. Um, this story seems to vet out completely. It seems to be exactly the way that, that it was, you know, it's unusual that that's the case. The way it's broke is the way it happened. But, you know, this man responded to a call. This guy's suicidal. He has a gun. He's pointing at himself. He's pointing at other people. I can't fault someone for deciding they needed to take a shot. I, I, I'm going to be completely honest with you, and also, but I'm also going to say I'm not a police officer. If you're screaming you're going to kill somebody and you're screaming you're going to kill yourself, I figure you're not in your right state of mind. If you have a gun, 
turns out to be unloaded. There's no way. I don't have x-ray vision. I can't see it. And you point that gun in my general direction or at another human being, you're probably going to get double tapped. All right? I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that the officers that shot the guy were wrong. Now, it seems like they were because their their other officer had been there long enough to work out the fact that this was what was going on and, and kudos to him for it. And he was main he was holding scene. Okay? They came in and chose to shoot the guy. But I'm not going to I am not going to get in on in the shit of a cop who shoots somebody who's holding a gun pointing it at them and pointing it at other people and saying they're going to kill themselves or they're going to kill somebody. I'm not. Because it is unreasonable. And I think those of you that think it's not, I want you to put you in this scenario. Let's say you ended up in this scenario. You're carrying, you go out in a parking lot, some guy standing there holding a gun, pointing at people in the parking lot, pointing at his head, says he's going to kill somebody, points it at you, and you shoot him. Is it a good shoot? Okay, we should hold officers to an equal standard of an armed citizen on the, on the use of force. I, I, if I was sitting on a jury and you were being accused of unlawful use of force and you shot somebody that was doing that and the prosecutor said, but his gun wasn't even loaded and he was, he was just trying to get himself killed. Well, he succeeded, not guilty, done. So I'm not going to get on the other cops. But the chief should have his ass kicked. He should have his ass kicked, his badge should be ripped off, stuck into his ass, he should be put out the door, there's something wrong with the man's mind. Okay? Plain and simple. His badge should be in his ass, not on his, not on his shirt. Because his first officer to arrive on scene correctly identified the situation. And it was clear, given that this gun was unloaded, that this man wanted to be killed by a cop. Again, getting it done doesn't make the cops wrong. I don't know that your gun's unloaded, but the fact that this man tried to defuse the situation and possibly could have if given the opportunity. In fact, he, he would have. He, I mean, the only thing that could have happened is the guy could have brought the, uh, the, the, the threat to a level where he broke and shot the guy, right? Because he, he thought he was going to charge him or try to shoot him or something like that. But... The, the the guy really couldn't shoot him because his gun was unloaded. He wanted to die. He was a suicidal person. I don't expect a officer to behave the way this man did. I won't require that as a let's say a minimum level of service. This is why I think the caller's word used here is correct. Hero. A hero isn't someone that does what we expect of them, right? You know, like, the people that say, like, well, I take good care of my kids. Well, idiot, you're supposed to. You don't get a gold star for that, right? The cop says, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't pull people out of their car and beat them, you know, for a traffic stop. I'm a good cop. Well, you're supposed to. Well, I mean, that doesn't make you a good cop. That makes you an adequate cop, right? This guy risked his own life, chose to do so, because he believed he could save a life. And his reward for it was being terminated. Whether terminated or not, he's a hero. He's not a hero because he was fired. He's not a hero because he risked his job. He's a hero because he willingly risked his life. And what, what, what the defenders of the chief would say is, well, he risked the lives of the other officers. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He was holding scene. 
He was holding scene. They were not required to put themselves in a harm's way. The, the, the Supreme Court has said law enforcement officers are not required to protect you. Did you know that? They're not. They have no duty to protect you. Their only duty is to enforce the law. There's many ways to go about enforcing a law. That officer right there has this man covered and engaged. They could have, they could have held back at a further distance. They could have deferred. They didn't have to choose to engage, and they did. Now, once they did what they chose to do, again, how I don't like it, but how can you fault someone who chooses to shoot someone because they point a gun at them and say they're going to kill them? You, you can't. And if, you, if you're coming down on the other cops right now, you're part of the problem in this discussion because the good cops, the logical cops, the cops like this man, right, that weren't there, that don't really know everything, they just say, hey, this is what happened. They won't have a conversation with you, and we'll never get them to rein in the ass-clown, idiot, jack-wagons that are part of their ranks, because they're going to defend their own because you're behaving irrationally. But this man is a hero. Now, here's the bigger concern. The fact that he was fired will tell you why there's so many shootings. These guys are being trained to unload like never before in history. There were not the number of shootings by cops 20 years ago that there are today, period. And the criminals aren't worse. The, the crime rate's gone, except for Chicago, right? The crime rate across this country has gone down over the last 20 years. There's a hell of a lot less murders, except Chicago, right, which got its own problems, than there were in the 1970s. Those of you that aren't old enough to remember, in the 1970s, people were getting whacked like crazy. It was the decade of the serial killer. And we didn't have cops whacking people back like this. It didn't happen in the numbers it does today. This is a training issue. You can see it in the use of force against dogs. Cops are shooting dogs that are no threat to them. That dog charges you, he's trying to bite you, and you shoot him. Hey, I understand. Dogs on the other side of a fence. You don't need to be in there, but you want to be in there. So your solution is shoot the dog. You're an oath-breaking piece of shit, and you belong in prison with a tattoo on your forehead that says you're a cop that broke his oath, and whatever happens to you, you deserve for shooting a dog in that situation. You are a piece of shit. But why are cops behaving this way? Because the men doing it in their hearts, in their souls, they're not pieces of shit. They're freaking brainwashed. They're as brainwashed as your brother who's trying to convince you to vote for Hillary Clinton. I'm telling you, it's not really who and what they are. The system has created this problem. This is a systemic problem. And you're seeing it here. And if you've listened to me talk about this before and thought, there's not really the problem Jack says it is. Really? Okay. This story should tell you that. Cop doesn't kill a guy, gets fired, because he didn't kill him. And he was, and this is it, above all else, he was right. He was 100% right. The fact that the, 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 the guy with the gun had an unloaded gun, when he decided, this man wants me to kill him, he just wants to be killed, he doesn't have the courage to do it himself, he was correct. Now, I'm not saying again, I'm not saying that the cop that ends up shooting somebody like that is wrong. I, I worked for a company called Garrettcom. Many years ago, it was a hard Ethernet company. About a year after I left, an employee came in there with two knives. He had already cut himself all up. 
tried to, tried to stab and slash several of her staff members. Police came in. They had a standoff with this guy for a couple hours. And he finally went apeshit and charged him, and they, they let him have it. I can't blame. Well, you only had a knife. Uh, you need to, that's not how it works, you know. So, guys, there's a problem. There's a problem. This officer did the right thing, though. Something tells me there's a department somewhere near him that will want to hire him because they're looking for officers like that. Wherever this guy ends up, if you're nearby, that might be a place you want to live because that's the kind of police force that I want protecting me and my family. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack. I was listening to your story from your Florida to uh, Pennsylvania move, and it got me thinking about something. Something that I've heard about but didn't really do a lot of research. But when I did research it, it scared the snot out of me. And that's civil asset forfeiture. For those of you that don't know what that is, Google it. The top response from the heritage.org. Look at that and read it. It will scare the snot out of you. They can just seize your assets. Police, I mean, can just seize your assets. You don't even have to do anything wrong. So in Jack's story, when he traveled from Florida to Pennsylvania with garbage bags full of money in there, they would take that and say, well, that's what drug dealers do. So, you know, we're going to take this. And then you have to prove that you're not a drug dealer. They don't have to prove you are. You have to prove you're not. So this is one of the most heinous crimes, the most – and it's stuff like this that's making the people hate police. No, it doesn't necessarily have to be violence. It's stuff like this. So I just wanted to throw that out there and, and hear what you have to comment about it. Thanks, man. Bye. So anyway, uh, the caller called back in. I, I didn't think it was necessary to play the second call, but he asked me to basically look at a video of uh, what what's going on in Tennessee. And uh, I don't need to look at the video. You guys can look up Tennessee Civil Asset Forfeiture on YouTube. You'll find it um, if you want to. But I know for a fact what's going on in Tennessee because, and I don't know if, if he wants his name used in this on the air, so I won't use his name, but a, a friend of the show and a friend of the Spirgo family um, who's been here quite a few times that lives in Tennessee told me that he uh, did like a uh, citizens on patrol type thing where you like a civilian cop thing where you do ride-alongs and you, uh, you know, like a, a civilian's police academy or something like that. And they were actually told about this program. And this is what they're doing in Tennessee. They know that drugs are moving, let's say, I don't know remember if it's east or west, but I think it's that the drugs are basically moving across Tennessee from the, the, the west to the east. I could be wrong. I could have it completely backwards, just one or the other. They're not stopping people. They're not looking for people with drugs. They do their delivery And the primary, you know, movement, let's say, is east to west with cash. So they, they, they have these, and they said they got them pretty well typecast. Usually it's an older guy, you know, in his 40s or something, ex-con or something like that, and like a, a young girl, like in her 20s. And they look for certain vehicles with this combination, and they look for anything that tips them off, and they, they pull them over. They find an excuse to pull them over, or they just run safety checks and bullshit like that, unconstitutional stops, you know. And then as soon as they, they think they're on to something, they separate the two of them and they start leaning on them. 
And usually, and the last caller might get upset for me this, I'm just telling you what happened. Usually it's the young girl that breaks because she has like no real record or anything and she's really not involved. She's just there basically to keep an eye on the guy to make sure he doesn't skip off with the money. Okay? And she's getting a few bucks for that. So she's not got any, any real skin in the game. So she's like, you know, I, I, uh, I, I, she'll, she'll cop to like, yeah, something's going on. Even if she doesn't, They'll find a reason to search the vehicle because one thing's for sure, the two of them, their story's not going to match. Because they're going to shake them up and they're going to get different stories from both of them. That's going to give them like reasonable suspicion. They'll search the vehicle. They already know they're not going to find any dope in there. If they do, they're going to find a little bit of dope, like personal supply dope. That's not what they're after. And they'll find a big stockpile of cash. And uh, they take the money. And if they don't have anything they can directly charge them with, they let them go, but they take the money. And their, their story is, well, we're, 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 we're removing the profit incentive. So it's a, easy, it's a better way to fight drugs. Well, if you guys meant what you were saying, you'd be nailing the people on, on, the, on the other side of the highway with the drugs. And they're not doing it. And the reason I know they're not doing it is this man that, that told me this is a lot of things, but he ain't a liar. I, I, don't, I don't see this man as a liar at all. He has no reason to lie about this. And he is a pretty big defender of, of, of law enforcement. Up until this, and this bothered him a great deal. And when he told the guy he had problems, with, the guy said basically he didn't care. So yeah, this is you know, and it's a crime fighting tool. The thing is, you don't have to prove that you didn't get the money by selling drugs. You have to prove how you got the money, you, and you have to prove that was by legal means. So you, it, it's not just they'll say, well, you got it from drugs. It's like you have an unreasonable amount of cash on you. Surely you got this from some sort of nefarious activity. If not, please prove to us the right way you got this money. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. If, the, if, they're, if they're mostly hitting actual drug deals, so what? Bullshit. This is road piracy. This is road piracy. First of all, I think the way we fight the drug war is stupid. It's dumb. And criminalizing a substance is just moronic. I really do, and I think we, the drug war has given us a drug, drug epidemic like we never would have had without it, so I'll just let that rest. But I think bigger than that, even if you're going to do what they're doing now, even if they're going to say that you know drugs are illegal, all drugs, and you know whatever, if you're going to deny somebody of property or liberty, you must prove them guilty. This is highly unconstitutional because you're not proving guilt. You're, you're placing the burden of proof on the individual. Now, of course, this will have unintended consequences, and what will begin to happen is, you know, things like Bitcoin will be used for this because what could happen now is, you know, Joe Blow and uh, Jenna Blow, who are in the car together driving to, to, to pick up the dope, When they get the dope, instead of giving them, a, you know, instead of getting a suitcase full of money, they create a, a transfer of, a, of an electronic alternative currency. And then what? Then what? Government will say is, see, see, that's what Bitcoin's for. Bitcoin's for buying dope. No, you guys prosecuting people by stealing their property with no proof of guilt have caused this technological response. I mean, they're not just going to keep driving up and down the roads with suitcases and bags full of money, especially when they don't have to. But as long as they are, what's going on here is clear. The state's seizing the funds, and you know what they do when they get that money? 
They don't burn it. They keep it. They keep it. And that way they can afford more cops to do more of this shit. It's road piracy. It absolutely is road piracy. I've heard people refer to cops as road pirates when they're given tickets and stuff like that. I deplore things like speed traps and all. I really do. But I don't look at that as a cop committing road piracy. He's doing his job. Part of his job is traffic enforcement. I don't agree with a lot of the laws that are out there. I think that there's a lot of places where I think that shit's set up for failure. My father-in-law, for God's sakes, one time got a speeding ticket. He's going through a school zone, and there's two schools, and he doesn't know it. He gets towards his end school zone, so he speeds back up. It's like 10 feet, maybe 10 yards, I'd say, actually, to the next school zone, and it starts again. So he's going too fast for that school. And that cop that was sitting there watching traffic come back, he knew exactly what he was doing. And his excuse was, well, you know, they can only have to put the end where the law... No, they don't. They could have just made the whole thing a school zone. It was set up right down here in Lakeside for me. The, the cops down there, they write about... According to the, the city's website, they write about $100,000 worth of citations a year. Right? The town has 1,310 people. How many freaking cops do you need in a town with 1,300 freaking people? It, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's a bad thing, but it's... I, I don't really see it as the cop as the road prior. I see it as the the municipality is. And it's really the state because a lot of times like a cop works for City X, writes a ticket. The city gets a very small amount of that money. The money goes to the county or the state, depending on the jurisdiction and what's going on there. But when they're when they're seizing money like this and, and this is something that every American should be outraged about. Because this is one of those things where When you say, well, I don't care because it doesn't affect me, sooner or later it affects you. When you don't speak up for the person that's being treated unjustly, even if they're not the person you would want as a next-door neighbor, it's only a matter of time before you're the ones being treated unjustly and there's no one there to speak up for you. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack, this is Curtis from Zello Channel. Uh, I'm calling about... Facebook, li uh, Facebook Live, um, what do you think about using that to film uh, when you're at a traffic stop or something like that? That way it's immediately going up. I think that solves the problem that that guy on your show, um, I don't know, maybe a year ago now, uh, brought up and had a special app for. I think the, uh, the live Facebook streaming would solve that problem altogether. What do you think? Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, just kind of out of the gate, the uh, the gentleman, I can't remember his name now, that I had on the show, and I don't think his uh, Kickstarter funded fully, and I don't think they've been able to develop the app because it's quite sophisticated. The the problems he was trying to solve was uh, far greater than just streaming live video. What he was developing, and, and I hope eventually they do develop it, is a tool that not only would you be streaming video uh, that would be recorded on a, on a second server so that it can't be deleted by the police officers, it can't be taken away, it can't be made to go away by some, by some third party. At the same time, you would be immediately put in touch with an attorney. So, you know, in any, any encounter with law enforcement, you are entitled to counsel. It cannot be denied counsel. So you could also say, well, you got to put away, I, I can't, it's, I have my attorney here. If you want to talk to me, then you have to talk to me with my attorney. If you want to arrest me, go ahead. Uh, please make sure you're, you have a reason to. And then uh, I, I'm not talking without my attorney. And So that's what he was trying to do. Now, as far as live streaming to Facebook, it works. I don't see any reason not to do it. But Facebook has a pretty big track record of, you know, 
if if they're asked to do something by law enforcement, they do it, like take videos down and things like that. And YouTube does too, but I think Facebook does a little bit more. Now, here's the other thing about it. If you put something on Facebook, it's very obvious that you did it right away, okay? Um, because your Facebook profile is you, okay? If that makes sense? Your YouTube channel, if you set up a YouTube channel, it's usually under some kind of like funky username or something like that. It doesn't necessarily, some people's would be very well known, like mine, for instance, but you can have more than one of them, things like that. So that content could be on YouTube and not necessarily known that it's on YouTube until such time as you need it, which gives you more opportunity to, let's say, download it, make copies of it, distribute it, make sure that it doesn't go away. I would also kind of like to give you guys a little tool that I found recently. And what I like about it is it doesn't require any kind of thing to be installed or whatever. It's just a website. It's called Video Grabby. Video, V-I-D-E-O, Grabby, G-R-A-B-B-Y.com. That's all that it is, VideoGrabby.com. And it only works with YouTube. But you just drop a YouTube a URL in there and say go, and it gives you the choice of downloading either the audio or the video uh, straight to your computer. You don't have to have an extension for Firefox. You don't have to put any kind of software on your computer or anything like that. And unlike some of the other services I've used to be able to grab stuff off of YouTube, it doesn't make malware bytes go, oh, shit, look, they're trying to screw you with something, right? They don't have any malware seem to be built into it. They seem to be making their money off of advertisements that they just keep on the front page, you know, stuff that's always on the uh, tabloid-esque type sites. Uh, remove your eye bags and wrinkles in just one minute. 19 gorgeous stars who became monsters and whatever. Well, if that pays their bills, then fine. Uh, you don't have to, you know, view that stuff if you don't want to. Uh, it seems like a light site. So my kind of caveat to this is if you were to, and I'll get to about live streaming to YouTube here in a second, live stream to YouTube and you had a friend's network maybe connected through something like Cell 411 app, um, and they know about video grabby, then not only could, or any other technology to pull the video down, not only could you very quickly you make sure that it was uploaded, but before it could be taken away, your friend network could grab it. See, because sharing a video on, on, on Facebook doesn't actually make a new copy of it. It just shares it. And if Facebook takes it down, it goes getting down everywhere it's been shared to. Now, I don't remember the tool. There is a tool for downloading Facebook um, videos as well, where you can grab a video off Facebook. I will look it up, I will find it, and I will put it in the show notes for you. So that's another thing. So that might push us back to going to Facebook. And if you have, you know, not just everybody in your friends list, but your actual friends, your actual connections, and you, you say, if you ever see anything that I put up of an encounter with law enforcement, grab it and get a hard copy of it and keep it for me. And if it ever happens to you, I'll do the same thing. Might even be interested if somebody created a a closed Facebook group, or maybe, you know, that was that was the only purpose of it. And, and you'd use... Because, see, let me explain something to you about YouTube, Google, Facebook, all these things. These are tools of the state and tools of the masses. They're, 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 they're literally being used against us, and we can use them for us at the same time. 
the, the, the government, when this stuff started, thought, this is great. We'll have complete knowledge of everything about everybody. And they've protected and given backdoor money and done all kinds of things to make sure that companies like this not only are successful, but stay the dominant player and what have you. And, you know, Facebook will give away your information to the government if they're asked, period. But many of us are like, I'm pissed off about that, but I don't give a shit that you know what I say. I don't give a shit that you know what I think because I'm public about it anyway. And people like that are able to then take that apparatus and use it against the state. And, of course, you can make fake accounts and we call sock puppet accounts and things like that. So th this is a tool that you have to be smart about your implementation and use because if you think just because you streamed it to Facebook, Facebook would be like, we were asked to take it down and we don't know what happened to it. We can't recover it. It's gone forever. Well, I really don't think that's how computer work. computers work. I think you can always recover data if you really want to. Uh, that's not what Mark Zuckerberg says. So just kind of, I think that whatever we do for streaming video live, we, we really should have some sort of secondary tier for it to go to. Now, I want to say that in most instances, when a citizen is being confronted with law enforcement and they simply do video it, Um, cops generally do not delete it. And it generally does help diffuse the situation if, if you are like, officer, for our safety, uh, for both of us, and so that we have no uh, misunderstanding about what's going on here and nobody misremembers anything in the future, I'm videoing this entire thing and I'm recording it all. I hope you're okay with that because you're on your public, you know, public duty and I'm a member of the public, so this is now a public interaction, so I'll be videoing this. Okay, that does a couple things. One, you're not being an asshole to be an asshole. You're not being an agitator. You know, you're not pulling code pink stuff. Not that I actually disapprove of some of the stuff they do, but I understand why it pisses cops off and why it ends up triggering things and making things happen. Okay, you're, you're being chill. Now, the other thing is, guilty people don't want a record of what's going on. So that already says this guy probably has not got a bunch of dope in his car or something like that. Right, he's probably not going to pull a gun on me. Right, he's you know he's he's if he's he he might be a an evil constitutionalist like they told me about from the 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 seminar we went to with the Southern Poverty Law Center, but he's probably not going to pull any shit because he's he's taping this. And also, when you're on video, generally you and the other party are on your best behavior, right? Because nobody wants to be the one that's proven to be the asshole. So I think it's it's valuable, and I think that. This streaming thing is is a good idea anyway. Trust but verify type of thing. And what I, I think is what's needed is something like a snap, snap, Snapchat type app that doesn't go away. See, the problem with Snapchat is you it's like you know a three-second video or whatever it is and goes, I don't get it. I don't get you guys that are playing with it. I don't understand. It's one of those things that I'm just like, I don't care. I, I can't follow everything. But something that's that simple that as soon as you turn it on, it's streaming and it creates redundancy. And let's say that it makes itself available to downloads by your friends. Now I see that I can see that going the wrong way too. I really can. I can see that going like into a really, really bad, bad situation, um, where you end up with uh, you know somebody doing some really dumb stuff. Strip, <laughs> but that happens anyway. Um, but I like the idea. I just think we're not. We haven't really ferreted out the best way to do this yet. We really haven't. 
I, I do see think there might be an opportunity for a paid subscription type service that might even work this way. You can set up a certain number of friends within the network for the streaming network, and whenever you upload a video, it also goes to your friends, and everybody has to pay to be a member in it. And that way it's automatic. You don't have to have Video Grabby or something like that. But the reason I put out things like Video Grabby isn't for nefarious use. It's because it's quite often the case that some piece of news footage or something will just disappear. Um, AP had the video of Hillary Clinton, for example, passing out. And then they took it down because they said they didn't have the distribution rights to it anymore. Bullshit. You know, and it's still on some news. Like, I saw it on Fox today, but it's all over YouTube. You can't make it go away because as soon as it showed up, tons of people grabbed a copy and re-uploaded it. And, you know, YouTube can only take down so many videos. And there's sites that don't really, you know, tend to worry about that as much because they're second-tier, third-tier sites. And I think that it's important that when something like that happens, if there's any, if there's any likelihood that the powers that be will, will erase it as evidence or try to make it go away, that we as citizens, one of our tools to fight back is to use their own tools against them and to simply make as many copies and distribute as many copies of it as possible. Uh, that's certainly, unfortunately, necessary. Let's take another call. Jack. Love your show. Been listening since about episode 945. Your information and perspective has changed my life, and I appreciate all your hard work. There is one perspective that I've listened to for too long that I feel must be addressed. Many of your male listeners and even yourself have addressed a fearful wife or girlfriend, whether it is regarding weapons, preparing in general, or bad weather, or other scenario. Before I continue, I want to say that I'm married to a kind and caring man who would never hurt me on purpose. He has been very patient over the years with my somewhat strong-willed personality. At the same time, strong-willed is exactly what I've needed to be over the years. Several years ago, my husband began to suffer from a strong case of clinical depression. Strong enough that on top of all the other pressures we were struggling with at the time, I began to be afraid to leave him alone for fear that he would kill himself in my absence. He has improved considerably, but he still has a long way to go. Because he was raised to believe that men did not get sick and did not need help, he refuses to get help in any way. Though I don't fault him for not wanting to go on medication for depression, at least some of the counseling, some counseling would have helped men some of the issues that have cropped up during his illness. Okay, maybe I was fearful when we got down to the bottom of the freezer eating mystery meat, but that's also about the time I started listening to your podcast. Despite his objections, I started coffee canning, gardening, and raising chickens. I also care for our vineyard of 320 vines. My husband has managed to keep his job of 30 years, but one business is began and another is suffering badly. Because his business began before our marriage, I have no way of trying to save it either. We live in a camper in an open field totaling 40 acres, and our only source of water is a spigot down by the vineyard. It has taken me 10 years to convince him that I need a shotgun to protect myself and livestock, but I finally won that battle. This is not a whining session, only a perspective that I believe your listeners need to hear. Women are strong. They are logical. They are very capable, especially when the man of the family is incapacitated in some way. It has been a long battle, and we have a long way to go. I am pleased to say that we are in the process of having a septic tank installed so that I can have a long-awaited bathroom. Keep up the good work. Just remember that women get the job done, too. Thank you.
Uh, sorry, though, before I, I respond to this call, I got a little long on the last one, and I kind of forgot to say something. Um, supposedly, the YouTube app for uh, for iPhone is supposed to have live streaming added to it soon, and that was like back in June or July they said that. I have the latest version of it. I can't figure out how to do it, but supposedly now or in the near future, you'll be able to live stream just with the YouTube app from um, from your iPhone, and I think that would be maybe a little bit more of a, uh, a a useful tool for that type of application. Anyway, so moving on this one. Well, first of all, let me just say, good on you. And I do not doubt the ability of any individual, regardless of gender, to be a leader, um, to be logical, to to do the right things, to step up, to become the person that's willing to prep, etc. And what this makes me think of, though, and this is not something that's meant to be offensive to women, so women, please don't take it that way. I was recently watching um, the, old sh the old movie uh, with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Men in Black. And when Will finds out about all of this crazy alien stuff going on, right, he says to Tommy Lee, he says, hey, people, people could know about this. People are smart. And Tommy Lee turns to him, he's very serious. And I, I this, I've seen this movie 20 times, you know, it's been out for what, ever. And uh, he says something so profound that you miss it. If you, if you don't get it right that second, he said, A person is smart, people are stupid. Okay? Now, I'm not making that a direct corollary to women, but what his point was is you might be able to tell this person right here about this, and they might be able to keep their head about them. But people as a herd act with hysteria. And that's because there's a certain number of people, a certain percentage of people that are just that way. So whenever you make a statement that's a generalization, whether it's about people, whether it's about men, whether it's about women, what have you. For instance, if you said that in general men stink, it's not that women can't stink. It's not that all men stink. But in, in general, when when you think about you know, people working hard and stuff like that, and even if a woman's working right by a man, who stinks worse at the end of the day? It's men. And the guy that doesn't stink shouldn't feel offended that somebody made a generalization that men stink. So when you hear me and other people on the show talking about, you know, the, the wife being the reason that, you know, there's no gun in the house or having damn near a divorce over the guy getting a gun, that's just because it happens more often. That, that, that's why you hear it, because, you know, for every story like yours, there's 20 that are completely the opposite. Now, there's another layer here that I'll get to in a second with this whole depression thing. But I'm just talking about the whole gun thing, right? And then the leader of the family type thing. I know that's probably coming at me. Uh, I didn't really hear it directly that way, but I can, I can, I can hear the undertone. So what I've said often for those that are new to the show is, in my view, the man should be a 50.01% partner in the marriage. That 0.01% is when it's necessary to step in as a dictator. And 0.01 is a very small percentage, okay? So it's something that's used when necessary. Okay, that's also the ideal. What if there is no man? What if the man's clinically depressed? What if the man is a moron and the woman's stuck with him? I don't, I mean, see what I'm saying? Like, 
this is in a well-balanced relationship where both sides are doing their all for the family in an ideal is where I mean that. So how many places is it ideal? I don't know. I think it's more than we are led on to believe, though, when people are themselves, right? So you talk about your husband believing like men are supposed to be strong and all, but it sounds like he's not being strong because he's depressed. And, and the flat-out reality is I'm pretty hard on men. I think especially men under 40, and I would say even under 50, and maybe older than that at this point, we have a shitload of men in this country that are a bunch of freaking pussies. They really are. And especially 20s and 30s. Oh, my God. Now, see what happens now. Because I said that, I've got some 24-year-old young man out there right now typing away, Jack, I bust my ass, and I am not weak. And I, I understand that. You should get the point that I'm making to this woman. You look around at your fellow 24-year-olds and tell me I'm wrong on a generalization. We're talking about trends here. Not individuals, not even significant percentages. Let's say, it might be a pretty accurate number, that of men under 40, about 75% don't behave the way that a man should behave. Okay? They, they don't, and they could be too violent rather than not violent enough, let's say, right? Or too aggressive rather than not aggressive enough. Because nobody really should be violent. Violence is a last resort. But there's a certain aggression in the male that should be there. Because that aggression isn't always an attack. That aggression is a willingness to do what's necessary to take care of his family. Okay? So let's say 75% don't make the grade at that. That's still a shitload of guys that do. But it's a, it's a big problem for those 25% of guys. Or just because some women are weak-minded... Right and, and, and afraid of guns and stuff like that, if the majority of them are, and we have 75% women in that basket and 75% men that won't man the hell up, the, the 25% of us on both sides have a problem because we're now seen as abnormal. We're now seen as abnormal. We're now seen as it, it is like there's something wrong with us when, when the rest of society has lost its freaking mind. So... One thing that we all have to do is we have to be less sensitive when somebody makes a generalization, and at least before we get upset about it, and I'm not saying you're upset about it, I think your point was totally valid, but it opens this conversation, right? Before we get upset about it, is that true? Just because I'm part of that group, as a demographic, right, whether it's race, religion, whatever, just because I'm part of that group, and I'm not that way, Does that mean that most of that group isn't that way? And then you got to understand this too. Let's say people make a generalization. I don't want to. I don't want to go down any rat holes here. So I'm going to make up a group about the widget group, and you happen to be a member of the widget group. And let's say the widget group is a pretty large group of people, like millions and millions of people in this country, and all the people you know that are in your little segment of the widget group are not like the generalization. So your assumption is that you're normal. Do you know that? Have you traveled outside of your little circle of widget group people? And I think a lot of cases people haven't. Or is it possible the person making the generalization has been around 20 or 30 satellite groups, and from their observation, they're correct, even though the majority aren't that way? And the only way we can have 
reasonable dialect and reasonable conversations and come to an understanding together is to accept that all of that's possible. But I'll bet 90 to nothing that if we were to survey a thousand, we, 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 we just start randomly dialing phone numbers, okay, and getting people on the phone. And the first question is, are you married? Okay. And the answer is yes. Okay, so you qualify, right? We, we keep going until we get a thousand people that qualify to the final question. A, a real survey, not a made-up fake one. Okay, are you married? Yes. Okay. Are there any guns in your home? No. Okay, now we can keep going forward. Is, is, are both of you opposed to guns or is only one of you opposed to guns or did you just not have a gun? And you get the third, the, 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 the second one is, one of us is opposed, the other one would like a gun. Okay, great. Now you qualify for the actual survey question. Is the man or the woman the one that's opposed to the gun? I will bet you greater than 80%, probably greater than 85% of the time, it's going to be the woman. Now, that's a generalization, but it doesn't make it untrue. And just because you're a woman and it doesn't apply to you doesn't matter. Because you would have, see, this is the thing, you would have never gotten to the final question. And, and here's why, it's not that I don't think there's a lot of men that are anti-gun out there. But anti-gun men seldom end up with a woman who's pro-gun. Because a woman that's pro-gun is going to be so the anti of a man that's anti-gun. Like, it could go the other way, and you could still, because there's a lot of women that have a lot of, in the political spectrum, we'll call them conservative ideals, but still don't like guns. They're dangerous, they're scary, whatever, okay? And a man will overlook that in a lot of instances, especially if he's not an active gun owner, active gun user at the time. He thinks you should have guns, she thinks you shouldn't. Hell, I don't have any anyway. She's nice, I like her, next thing you know, there's a relationship, they're married. But a woman that is pro-gun is almost never going to be like a, fit well with a man who's anti-gun. They're going to be so different on, and it, it's not about the gun issue. It's about the person. Think of the man who's anti-gun. Think of that man, okay? Everybody, whether you're a man or woman, think of that guy who's anti-gun, especially a younger person, someone under 50. Think of who he is. Think about him. Okay, now, think of a woman you know who's pro-gun. Okay? Do you see those two people together? And your answer is going to be, hell no, I don't see them together. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. And it, it's important that we start to understand these dynamics so we start to understand human interrelationships. Because then we can actually have to start, start having logical conversations and you can say something that's true without offending somebody because they don't believe it's true or because they don't want it to be true. So, ma'am, I'm going to say to you flatly, if you think I'm wrong, that it's not a preponderance of the time that it's the female that's opposed to guns, let me know. Now, different issue, prepping. I think in the prepping community... It's almost equal that men and women split on that issue. Because unless you are a preparedness-minded person when you meet another person, one of you discovers it, one of you realizes it, 
And then the other one is not necessarily at the place in their walk in life where they're ready for it. So I think that there's plenty of men out there that just don't want anything to do with this preparedness stuff is nonsense. Somebody scared you, you know, whatever. And there's an equal number of women that don't want to hear it. So I think that one's pretty, pretty equal. And I think the preparedness space is made up of far more women than people think it is. They're less vocal about who they are. They call shows like this less often, unfortunately. You guys want more women on the phone, you, you on the, on the air? Call. I'll put you on. You know, I will, I really will. I, I, I almost never don't put a call from a woman almost always gets on the air. You know why, guys? They follow the instructions. They make their point. They, they, they keep the call under two minutes. They don't call with a weed whacker running. They make sure they actually do it right. So, so it almost always gets on. And they almost always have a sincere question because it took something extra to get them to do it because they tend to be a little less aggressive. I don't think this woman is, but I think in general, women are. If you disagree, I'd love to hear from you. I still may not agree with you, but I can respect your opinion. And that's where we need to get to in this world if we're going to solve all of these problems, where we can disagree and respect each other's opinion. As long as your opinion isn't something like, it's okay to rape little children. Well, then I don't care for your opinion. I don't care for you, and I want you buried in a hole in the ground. But if your opinion and my opinion differ, and we're not harming each other or other people, then we should be able to come and reason together. Come, let us reason together. You know what that's from? <laughs> Tell me if you do in the comments for today's episode. Anyway, with that knocked out, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you can help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents per minute. Just go to the Survival Podcast dot com and click on members to learn more there and uh, you can sign up remember military law enforcement peace corps active duty and prior service first responders like emts paramedics and firefighters all of you guys qualify for a discount uh if you want to get that discount email me before not after you join jack at the survival com tspc service discount in the subject line you know what's funny i want to kind of mention i get questions in a while about why why do you do a discount for cops when you're as hard as cops on you on cops as you are I'm not hard on cops. I'm hard on bad cops. Do you know why I get so angry when I see a shitty cop? Because I have respect for good ones. Some of you guys in law enforcement, I want you to let that sink in. I'm more upset about the bad people in your ranks than you are. You're willing to call them a bad apple. I'm willing to call them an oath-breaking piece of shit. Because they enrage me. And they enrage me because I know in the current system we have, we need you guys that are the good guys. And they're making it impossible for you to do your job, and you guys won't ferret them out. So I call them out. But I respect the shit out of you guys to do your job as best you can. I really do. That's why I do that discount. I also figure those of you that are in the ranks and, uh, and can listen to this show every day and not tune out, you definitely are the good guys. No bad cop could listen to this show, and especially one like today. And by the way, if you guys think it was themed today, kind of on the whole suicide by cop, similar opposite forger, live stream, that's just the way the calls came in. You want different subjects? Call 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. I have a pretty clean slate, actually. I look like call volume this, this uh, week. And uh, remember, also, you can use the speak pipe button. Go to the survivalpodcast.com. And you'll see the speak pipe button. It'll say start recording. You can send me your message there. Here's something important. If you go over two minutes on the think line, it shuts you off. 
If you go over two minutes on the speak pipe line, it just lets you keep talking. Uh, because I haven't upgraded yet where I can set a, a time limit on it yet because I don't know if we're going to keep it. We had two calls into it. Um, one was just like a personal call. The other one was from somebody who I probably would have covered your call. Your call was over four minutes, dude. No bueno. Four minutes. If you're going to get on the air, you're going to, and it, and it was a lot of repetition. So good guy, been on the air before, liked you, liked the subject, didn't make the cut. Keep your call short and concise and to the point so that I have a single or, or double thing to answer. I give very detailed answers. If you ask me 27 points, it's a show. It's not a response to a call. But SpeakPipe or the Think Line. Again, SpeakPipe's pretty cool, and I've got the display thanks to a guy that emailed me about a way to fix the display working, so it, it looks better on the website now. You'll see it center column uh, just above the fold, so to speak, right under Connect with TSP and all the links that are in there, and right below Listen to a Random Episode. Uh, next up, remember, you can help support this show, and you can do that by going to tspaz.com whenever you do your shopping on Amazon. Today I have a really cool product for you guys on tspaz, on the reviews, and that is a conversion kit for DeWalt 18-volt tools. It consists of a charger, two 20-volt lithium-ion X uh, batteries, and uh, an adapter, and you stick the battery in the adapter, and you put the adapter into your 18-volt DeWalt, and now it's a 20-volt lithium-ion DeWalt. I broke down and did it. I spent 150 bucks on uh, Amazon. They're like 146. That's like four bucks less than I spent. I got it at Lowe's. I had just thrown away another of the 18-volt NICAD batteries. I was there buying other stuff. I saw it, and I, I made an impulse buy. I'm glad I did it. It's... uh. It's brought my old tools. I have tools that are well over 10 years old, 18-volt wall tools. And the NICAD battery quality has gone to shit in the last few years. They don't last as long. They don't have the power. I feel like my old tools are performing like my old tools. There's some there's some downsides, too. I give you all of the good and the bad in today's write-up. It's on the website, uh, Amazon item of the day for 9 15 16. And, uh, but if you're a DeWalt user with 18-volt tools, and you've been wanting to move to the new lithium-ion batteries, this is the way to go. And the kit is a good deal. It's about 150 bucks, 146 I think, on Amazon. Two batteries, plus the adapter, plus a charger. And I'll give you one of the downsides. The adapter means that you, if you buy this kit and you're using your drill and now you need to use your saw, you're going to have to swap batteries. You can't just have a battery in each one, right, um, to be able to use the new batteries anyway. Uh, but... I'm really thinking that maybe next month, spreading the purchase out, I might buy a second kit because uh, then I'm, I'm really in good shape. And DeWalt also knows what they're doing here. I'm now kind of oogling, you know, new 20-volt tools, especially that freaking nail gun they came out with. That thing's amazing. But as always, guys, you can do your shopping on Amazon through TSPAS and support our work. It costs you nothing. It doesn't even really cost you time, tspaz.com. Um, next up, uh, want to go into our song of the day today. So I was trying to think about what to give you guys as a song of the day, and it's kind of a little bit of an amped up show at some points and some downside and stuff. So like, could we just relax? You know, I think sometimes we all just need to friggin' relax. So I thought, Jack, what is kind of the song without going classical music or something like that from, you know, from your past that when you, when you listen to it, you can just relax. You can have a beer. You can sit on the porch if the weather's nice. You can watch the wind in the trees, and you can just drift away. And I said, there it is. Dobie Gray, Drift Away.
this song says what it does and does what it says. It helps you relax. It helps you drift away and enjoy true, real rock and roll. I've always wondered why Dobie wasn't more successful. All his other music never really got there. This song is a song that even today, people that weren't alive when it was written, back in 1973, I believe is when it came out, go instantly, when they hear the first couple notes, recognize it. And I don't know a lot of people that don't like this song. I hope you do. I hope you enjoy it. I'll catch up with you tomorrow with the Expert Council Show. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Day after day, I'm more confused. Yet I look for the light through the pouring rain. You know that's a game that I hate to lose. I'm feeling the strain Ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll And drift away Oh, give me the beat, boys, and free my soul I wanna get lost in your rock and roll And drift away